Hey friends, welcome to the Perfectionist Guide to Mothering. I'm your host, Andrea Fortenberry. This is a podcast about finding freedom from perfectionism to show up for the life God has for you. Mom life is messy, unpredictable, and just plain hard sometimes, but it's also amazing. I believe God uses it all to grow us into the women He wants us to be. We can't do motherhood on our own. We need God's help. We need wisdom from other moms. We need the encouragement of community. I hope you'll find all of that and more as you listen in. Welcome to episode 66 of the Perfectionist Guide to Mothering. I hope you had a very happy Christmas and enjoyed time with your family celebrating the birth of Jesus and being together. Now that December is almost over and Christmas is behind us, you might find yourself feeling a little burned out, a little weary, a little tired from all of the festivities and activities of this season. If that's you, no, you're not alone. It's very common to feel this way after the holidays and after you have had so much to do as a mom. This message that I'm going to share with you today is from my dear friend, Ginger Seminello. She gave this message at Restore Soul Care for Moms again over the summer. And I think it is the perfect thing for us to hear as we recover from the activities of the holiday season. Ginger is a dear friend. She's a speaker, an author, and a previous guest of the podcast. You can find our previous episode, episode number seven, about remembering God's faithfulness. I will link that for you in the show notes so you can find it easily. And one quick thing before we go is that If your church is interested in bringing Restore Soul Care for Moms to your city in 2023, let me know. I have been able to produce this event at virtually no cost to your church, and I'm looking for some great partners to share the event with in the next year. So contact me. You can go to my website, andreafortenberry.com and click on the contact site, or you can also find my information here in the show notes. I would love to consider uh, being a partner with you for next year. So friends, I wish you plenty of rest and renewal as we approach the new year. Thank you so much for listening to this podcast and for spending time with me through these episodes. I really, really appreciate you and I wish you many blessings into 2023. So I hope you enjoy this message from my friend Ginger. Good evening. I'm going to put my gigantic water bottle here. You know you've lived in Arizona for 15 years. When? I haven't got an Arizona sticker. I'm a Texan transplant. And so I have, whoop, I have never known what it is to look at the TV and pay attention to the groundhog and hope that he will see his shadow. I don't even know what that is. I know what it is to be at the end of October and hope that the sweat will not fill this crease in my arm. 
Summer in Arizona is hard. I was looking at some pictures, fondly, of when my kids were teensy tiny, when I had a 13-month-old this particular summer and a three-year-old. And we found mold in our master bathroom. And so we had to remodel our master bathroom. So thankfully, we, had, we have a basement. My husband, my two girls, and I moved down to a one-bedroom studio apartment. And upstairs, we had really noisy neighbors. I mean, they were the, the workers coming in to function the remodel. The house was full of dust. And there are only so many times you can go to story time. You know this. I know this. What do you do with a 13-month-old when it's 115 degrees out? And I began to wilt outwardly and inwardly. I remember one moment I opened an email from Mops International. Anybody familiar with Mops? And Mops was announcing their theme for the fall. And I got really excited. I pulled it open and it said, find your fire. And in that moment, I went, no, you find my fire, Mops, because I have nothing else to give. I am taking care of my family. I'm attempting to stay sane. I'm trying to be in God's word. And I feel like I'm failing all of it. If I spend any time on social media, what it will tell me is that everyone else is doing this motherhood thing better than I am. And they're enjoying it way more than I am. And I remember one night in particular thinking to myself, I don't want to go to sleep because I don't want to wake up and do the same day again. I cannot, I cannot cut the banana five different ways tomorrow. I was so burnt out. I had nothing left to give. And so the idea that I had to go and find something was just too hard. It was just too much. And if I could go back to myself in that moment, I would gently remind her that there's a big difference between finding a fire and starting a fire from scratch. I was a Girl Scout, got my senior award, I made a lot of fires. I know there's a big difference in causing embers to come back to life by feeding them kindling than there is from starting from scratch. And here's the good news, that the one who began the good work in you, who placed your faith within you, he will see that on to completion. And so when we come to the end of ourselves this summer, I did it on Sunday, had a total meltdown. When we come to the end of ourselves, how do we fan the flame? How do we find restoration? Psalm 23 points us in that direction. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down In green pastures, he leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. Aren't you thankful that it doesn't say, and then the sheep restore their soul? That the shepherd is the one who does it. What does our restoring our soul look like in real time? Tonight, I want to take us to the book of 1 Kings, chapter 19. And we are going to do a fast and furious study of the prophet Elijah. Are you ready? Here's your backstory. Starting in chapter 17, for three years, Elijah had lived by God's provision alone. He had prayed and there had been no rain. He had prayed and a man who had died, a young man who had died, had come back to life. He had confronted the evil King Ahab and his wife Jezebel. And then he brought the prophets of Baal to the top of Mount Carmel and had a showdown. 
He said, you build, you build something. I'll build something. We'll put a sacrifice on top of the altar. And then we will pray that our God will send fire from heaven. Well, the prophets of Baal prayed all day and nothing came. Elijah prayed and fire came down from heaven. The people all fell on their faces, worshiping God. And in that instance, Elijah must have felt so encouraged. All of his work, all of his work, all of his hope to see the people of God turning back to God. And now they're acknowledging the one true God. And it's in this moment that we find him at the beginning of chapter 19. It says this, Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with a sword. Then Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah saying, so may the gods do to me and more also if I do not make your life as the life of one of them by this time tomorrow. Then he was afraid and he arose and he ran for his life and came to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah, and he left his servant there. Elijah is afraid. He had put all of his hopes in this moment. He had thought that this would be the turning point for Israel. Israel would no longer follow after false gods, but instead they would turn and serve God alone. And instead of being welcomed by the king and the queen, He's given a threat, and Jezebel has had multiple hundreds of prophets of God killed, murdered, taken out. And her word is enough to send Elijah running. And he runs as far as he can to the southernmost tip of Judah, to Beersheba. He runs 80 miles south with his servant, and then he leaves his servant behind. He went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a broom tree. And he asked that he might die, saying, It is enough now, O Lord. Take away my life, for I am no better than my father's. In that moment, from a distance, I want to step in and coach Elijah. Elijah, God cared for you for three years. He hid you. He fed you by a brook. He took care of you. He sent fire from heaven, and now you're letting the words of a woman drive you to make decisions out of fear. And I half expect to God to come in and to coach him in that moment and to say, Elijah, get up. We have work to do. But that's not how God responds at all. He lay down and slept under a broom tree, and behold, an angel touched him and said to him, Arise and eat. And he looked, and behold, there was at his head a cake baked on hot stones and a jar of water, and he ate and drank and lay down again. And the angel of the Lord came a second time and touched him and said, Arise and eat, for the journey is too great for you. So my question is this, why does God respond this way? Think about your toddler. In those moments when my girls had had enough of a day and they were melting down on the floor, the kindest thing that I could do for them was to give them a snack or lunch, pick them up in my arms, and then put them to bed. And this is what God does with his exhausted, worried, worn-out, depressed prophet. I love that in the midst of this burnout, God doesn't yell. There's no pep talk. There's no reprimand. There's only nourishment. Two naps and two meals. Elijah is expecting death in this moment. He's even asking for it, but God gives him rest and nourishment. 
Charles Spurgeon, the great theologian, says, food and rest may be the very first elements in really helping a poor and depressed servant of God. Here's the truth. We are finite and limited because God made us that way. I think for so long, we've pushed against our limits, right? We say, I can sleep when I'm dead. If I just drink some more coffee, I can stay up a little bit later. I can wake up a little bit earlier. I can hustle, hustle, hustle. I can get it done. But that cannot be sustained over a period of time. At some point, we collapse. A few years ago, I was preparing to go speak an event at an event. I had really young kids. And so finding time to work was really hard. I tried to wake up early. I tried to stay up late. Basically, anytime my husband was home from work, I was trying to skedaddle away and go get some work done. And one particular Saturday night, I had to finish my outline. And so I took a cup of decaf coffee down to our basement. I lit a candle. I sat on the bed and I closed my eyes to say a prayer. It was 8 p.m. I had two two good hours I was going to get in. I said a prayer, and I woke up at 9.30. And I was so angry. And I went upstairs with tears in my eyes, and my husband was like, how'd it it go? I just said, "I, I cannot believe he let me do this. I cannot believe that he let me fall asleep in the moment where I had to work. This was all the time I had. We went to church the next morning. And the sermon was on the part of Genesis where God finishes creation and he rests on the seventh day. And how God was demonstrating for us what it looks like to recognize our limitations and to take care of our bodies, to rest. In that moment, I began to recognize that falling asleep on the Saturday night was the greatest thing that God could have done for me that he wasn't disappointed, that I didn't have the hustle to push through. In the way that anytime you look back in your car and you see one of your kids has fallen asleep and you pull out your phone to take a picture, even though you have a million pictures of that, you're like, oh, look, they fell asleep in a place that's not their bed. There's no part of you that's angry at them. You're just delighted that finally they gave up fighting and they just did what their bodies needed. My friends, You and I have limitations. God cared for Elijah by caring for his body. We are not simply spirit and soul. We are embodied humans. The Holy Spirit lives inside this temple. So part of my calling, yes, is to die to myself, but it's also to take care of my body so I can keep taking care of my people. And so when we feel burned out, The first thing we need to do is give up control. Elijah comes to that point where he goes under the broom tree and he goes, that's it, I'm done. I've got nothing left. And he sits under the broom tree and he falls asleep. We give up control and then God gifts us rest. God cares for Elijah's physical body because that is what you do with someone you love when they are exhausted. Friends, do we believe that we are the beloved the loved of God. Do you believe that it's okay for you to be where you are, even if that's complete exhaustion? Sometimes the most God-honoring thing that you can do is care for your body. You are not only spirit and soul, remember? You are embodied human. Not every season will allow for you to practice loving care of your body in the same way. We have to get creative sometimes, especially when you have a three-month-old. 
you have to get creative. What does rest look like in that moment? I learned this early on in the first wave of the pandemic. You know, we all hunkered down in March and I was super creative. Anybody with me? I was all in. I was doing like my own VBS with my kids. I was homeschooling. I did the chalk thing on my yard. We put the magnetiles on the garage, you know, the garage. We went on hikes. We put different scavenger hunts out in the neighborhood. But about May, we were in our target swimming pool and I just had tears going down my face. And my husband said, what's wrong? And I was like, nothing's wrong, but everything is just so I can't. I was done. And so we learned at that moment that Ginger needs to get out of the house every day. He went to work every day of the last two years because that's what his office needed. So that means I was at home every day for the last two years because that's what our office needed. And so we learned I needed to get up even if it was 5 a.m. and get outside and be in creation and move my body if I was going to have anything left to give my people. But now we're in a different season and my kids were at school and it was so glorious, but now they're back home again and I have to learn a new season. What does it look like to care for my body in this season so I'm not entirely burnt out come July 15th or June 22nd? Restoration begins with surrender and rest. But notice it doesn't stop there. If we keep going in our story, notice Elijah doesn't just stay under that prune tree angel eating angel food cake for the rest of his life. That would be so nice. Instead, the angel comes, so he takes a nap, right? Then the angel wakes him. Wouldn't you like to eat this bread, this cake? The angel wakes him. He takes another nap. The angel wakes him again and he says, arise and eat because the journey is going to be too great for you. I don't know if that's the message I want to receive when I've just started recover. This next part's going to be really hard. You need to eat some more. And we don't know if Elijah in that moment recognized exactly what the journey was ahead of him. Or did he just sense that where he needed to be was in the presence of God? And knowing the story of Israel, he knew that was at Mount Horeb. Mount Sinai, where God had met with Israel, where God had met with Moses face to face. And so it says, arise and eat for the journey is too great for you. And he arose and ate and drank and went in the strength of that food 40 days and 40 nights to Horeb, the Mount of God. God gives Elijah space to rest and recover because even good ministry from a true place is depleting. And so it's okay for Elijah to be where he is, but he also shouldn't stay there forever. He was so exhausted, depressed, and weary that he was ready to give up and throw in the towel. But that was not God's plan for him, for there was still work to do. So Elijah makes this journey, this 200-mile journey on the strength of these angel cakes. He goes to Mount Horeb, which is in the center of five deserts. So he goes from wilderness even deeper into desert. And his pursuit is to experience God, to be with God. Horeb was also known as Sinai. And Elijah knows, even though he's physically exhausted, he's in pursuit of God. He doesn't want theology or a priest at the tabernacle. He wants God himself. Verse 9 says, there he came to a cave and lodged in it. My NIV says, there he went to a cave and went to sleep. I mean, after 40 days and 40 nights, 200 miles, he takes another nap. That's the first thing he does when he goes to get to God. He takes another nap. He pays attention to his body. 
There's no shame in starting retreat with rest. He wants to be ready to receive. He paid attention to his body, so he sleeps. And then God makes the first move. There he came to a cave and lodged in it. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him. And he said to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? Have you said that this week to one of your kids? You hear a shout, a door slam, someone cry. You open the door. Hey, what's going on, guys? Don't you know the Lord knew the answer to that question? He knew exactly what Elijah was doing here, but he gifted the opportunity for him to bring all of himself into the presence of God. He is attuning to Elijah. Attunement is this great thing that I've been learning about from modern psychology that also matches up with God and his word in the Bible and neuroscience all together. I have this great app called Loving While Parenting. You can ask me about it later if you want. It's not mine. It's somebody else's. Loving While Parenting. And it's just about creating strong emotional bonds between you and the members of your family. And when I first took it, there's like quizzes and little videos. And one of the things was what builds the strongest attachment between you and your kids? And my first guess was great memories together, doing fun things, going on -on one-on-one dates, doing things together. But the answer was wrong. No, it is how I respond to them in times of emotional distress. And I went, oh, luckily you only have to get this right 30% of the time. So I read this, I was learning about attunement, and I had an opportunity to practice. My five-year-old, we come home with balloon animals, and Lucia's pops within like 30 minutes, and her sister's is still going strong, and she is crushed. She is devastated. She is rolling on the floor. Now, part of me wants to come in and discipline and parent in this moment. We're not going to respond. This is a balloon, baby. This is not a big deal. We are not going to respond this way. Mommy needs to go cook dinner. I need to preheat the oven. We need to get over this, right? But I've been, re- I've been reading. I've been learning. So I know I need to attune. And attuning means I want her to feel seen. I want her to feel heard. I want her to feel understood. And I want her to feel cared for. And to do that, I need to be near and I need to be quiet. So I get really close to her on the floor. And I finally just go, you seem really sad. She's like, yeah. I think you seem angry too. Yes. And I put my head close to hers and she reaches her hand and she brings my head onto the floor next to her. And I'm thinking, how long do I need to hold this position? So I decide I'm going to start counting to 20 because I really do need to get the zucchini in the oven. So I start counting to 20 and I'm just like, what am I waiting for? And about 11... She takes this deep sigh and just goes, and she goes, I'm just so sad because I loved it so much and now it's gone and Nora still has hers and I'm just so sad. And I said, I know, baby. And then she sat for a minute and then she said, you can go make dinner. I'm pretty hungry. We have a heavenly father who knows how to do this to a T. God attunes with Elijah in this moment. Elijah is able to bring his whole self, the good, bad, and the ugly, and tell God exactly how it feels to be him. He doesn't hold anything back. What are you doing here, Elijah? Elijah speaks freely to the Lord and unburdens his heart. He says, I've been very jealous for the Lord, for the God of hosts, for the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword. And I, even I only, am left, and they seek my life to take it away. Elijah's saying, here's what I've done. Here's how bad your people are. And someone wants to come and kill me. And it's not fair because I've been faithful and I'm suffering for it. 
His diatribe is honest. It's where he was at the moment. And God had invited him to share. One of my favorite quotes this year has been from Dr. Larry Crabb, who said, God meets us where we are, not where we pretend to be. How does God meet Elijah? Verse 11 says, he said, God, go out and stand on the mount before the Lord. And behold, the Lord passed by and a great and strong wind tore the mountains and broke in pieces the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake. But the Lord was not in an earthquake. And after the earthquake was a fire. But the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, the sound of a low whisper. And when Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his cloak and went out and stood at the entrance of the cave God first shows Elijah where you might look for his presence in acts of nature, in power, even in destruction. But then the Hebrew says that God responds with a voice of gentle silence. This gentle whisper shifts something in Elijah because then he covers his face in humility and he stands at the edge of the cave. John Ortberg says that for the soul to be well, it needs to be with God. God does not shout and scream Elijah into restoration. He does not even demand his obedience or correct his attitude in this moment. Instead, he whispers, Elijah, my presence is with you. I am with you. You are not alone. Restoration begins with rest and it continues with God's presence. God asks him again and behold, there came a voice that says, what, what are you doing here, Elijah? And he said, I have been very jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts, for the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars, killed your prophets with the sword, and I, even I, only am left, and they seek my life to take it away. Does that sound familiar? He says the same thing. But I have to wonder, do you think his tone changed? Do you think the way he said it might have changed? I don't know. But I know when someone is willing to be near and to listen to me say all the things. Have you ever done this? Or you just start talking to the Lord. Lord, this is not fair and I don't like. And by the time I finish it, my voice has changed. The way I carry my body has changed because I know that he has heard me. At this moment, God gives Elijah what he needs most now as we close. He gifts perspective. Because Elijah has been living everything out of how it feels to be Elijah. And now God is going to share with him what it is to be God in this moment. The Lord said to him, go and return on your way to the wilderness of Damascus. And when you arrive, you shall anoint Hazael to be king over Syria. And Jehu, the son of Nimshi, you shall anoint to be king over Israel. And Elisha, the son of Shaphat, you shall anoint to be the prophet in your place. And then he says, yet I will leave 7,000 in Israel, all the knees that have not bowed to Baal and every mouth that has not kissed him. So he departed from there and found Elisha. God had Elijah's welfare in mind all along, but Elijah needed to be quiet enough to receive it. He needed the truth from God. Hear me. He couldn't just sit. He needed to hear what was true. So when we come to those places where we have nothing left, we need to release control, rest, enter God's presence with all our whole selves, and then receive from him what is true. And God says, I'm in control. We have work to do, and you are not alone. And my friends, those are the encouragements that I would give to you tonight, too, to remind you God is in control, whatever is happening in your home and with your family. He is on the throne, and it is not all on your shoulders. We have work to do, children to point to the Lord and to love. 
And remember, you are not alone. You are full of other witnesses who are doing this work with you. God, my shepherd, I don't need a thing. You have bedded me down in lush meadows. You find me quiet pools to drink from. True to your word, you let me catch my breath and you send me in the right direction. Amen. As we go, I want to remind you that you're doing an amazing job as a mom. No, you're not perfect. None of us are. There's no such thing. But you're showing up, you're learning from your mistakes, and you've got God on your side. He fills in the gaps of our imperfections, and we can trust Him. Keep going, my friends. You are doing good and meaningful work. I'll see you next time.